previously on Drilled. Among that set of, of dedicated research centers that are really influential in technology research and training, you know, future people working in climate, also influencing the IPCC, that a majority, I would say a majority of funding in those centers comes from fossil fuel groups. Most of what we know about oil company social influence campaigns has been dug up over the past five years by journalists, particularly Neela Banerjee and David Hassmeyer at Inside Climate News, Suzanne Rust, who led the investigation at Columbia School of Journalism that was printed in the Los Angeles Times and The Guardian. Independent investigators like Kurt Davies and Scott Peterson have also contributed to that knowledge. New Yorker reporter Jane Mayer's incredible investigative work into the Koch brothers, published in the book Dark Money, has provided key insights, too. But long before any of these investigations kicked off, lawyers were digging up this stuff, too. They did such a good job that the public is more skeptical of climate change now than the oil companies are. As a means to change the public's perspective on things, I think they may be very valuable. That's my opinion. It's just like, if we could get the public to say, yeah, you know what, there really was a lot of damage done. And yeah, yeah, we're part of it. But we, we certainly weren't in a position to make these educated decisions the way that people at Exxon or people in other oil companies were. They were fully aware. Not unlike Big Tobacco, the oil companies here, their internal documents make the case of their knowledge and their cover-up. We recognize that global warming is a serious issue, and but this kind of lawsuit is counterproductive, and it's just legally flawed. More than a decade ago, an environmental lawyer named Matt Powa brought the first suit that tried to hold a company responsible for inaction on climate change. He represented a group of states against a group of utilities in a case known as Connecticut versus AEP. He went on to represent some of the country's first climate refugees, people displaced from the village of Kivalina in Alaska by melting ice caps and rising seas. You can get a sense of Powa's passion for using the law to do something about climate from this speech he gave at the Center for the Study of Responsive Law back in 2016. In 2007, the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change said that climate change was already killing 150,000 people per year. Nonprofit organizations have put the figure higher at more like 400,000 per year and said that by 2030 it could be killing 700,000 people per year. Powa has been litigating against Exxon in particular for well over a decade. Here's why. Exxon scientists researched global warming in detail in the late 1970s and early 1980s. The scientists found that the level of CO2, carbon dioxide, the main greenhouse gas, was increasing in the atmosphere. And they said that the overwhelming, their word, overwhelming opinion of scientists was that the source of this problem was the burning of fossil fuels, their main product. They declared, the in-house scientists, in 1982 that, quote, a clear scientific consensus has emerged that a doubling of the carbon dioxide from pre-industrial levels would result in an average global temperature increase of about 3 degrees Celsius, which would be an unprecedented and rapid increase in a mere 100 years. They said that there was, quote, unanimous agreement in the scientific community that a temperature of an increase of this magnitude would bring about significant changes in the Earth's climate. Those early cases failed, but they did uncover some documentation of what oil companies knew and when, and they enabled lawyers like Powa to see what worked and what didn't. 
In the years since, not only have journalists and activists uncovered documentation of what oil companies knew and when, and what they did to suppress that information, but also science has evolved. Scientist Richard Heady conducted a comprehensive study of emissions from the Industrial Revolution to now, and was able to connect a majority of CO2 emissions to just 100 companies, which he termed the carbon majors. Other scientists have published new studies, too, connecting particular damages to climate change as part of an emerging field known as attribution science. Bob Kopp at Rutgers has shown the percentage of sea level rise that can be attributed to climate change. From there, then, scientists at Climate Central were able to pinpoint precisely how much of the damage inflicted by Superstorm Sandy was attributable to climate change. $2 billion out of the $12 billion in damages. Peter Frumhoff at the Union of Concerned Scientists has also conducted research in this realm. He's looked at the correlation between climate change and human mortality related to extreme heat waves. And ironically, the success of the oil company's social influence campaigns are a real strength to these cases. Marco Simons with Earthrights International is representing a group of cities and counties in Colorado that are suing oil companies to cover the costs of fighting increasingly intense wildfires. They did such a good job that the public is more skeptical of climate change now than the oil companies are. That's true. Chevron attorney Ted Boutros has been presenting on behalf of all the oil companies in these suits. It's a solid pick because there are no documents floating around out there about any climate science Chevron conducted way back when. He regularly cites the industry's alignment with the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, the IPCC. And instead of contrarian theories, he often says things like this. We recognize that global warming is a serious issue, and, but this kind of lawsuit is counterproductive, and it's just legally flawed. Simon says that's too little, too late. The oil companies, you know, wrap themselves in the mantle of the IPCC. So they are, you know, at least publicly fully on board with sort of established climate science at this point. But their disinformation campaign in years past was so successful um, that, you know, still an alarmingly low percentage of the American public even, you know, agrees that sort of human-caused climate change is happening Mm-hmm. and that fossil fuels are the cause of it, let alone with the urgency of the need to address it. Um, so, yeah, they are, you know, their their campaign was unfortunately um, incredibly successful in, you know, misleading the public and in delaying by decades the action necessary to avert and respond to catastrophic climate change. Our next partner is Athletic Greens. I take AG1 by Athletic Greens literally every morning. I take it before I start my day, even before I have coffee. I gave it a try because I felt like my immune system was kind of shot and I had low energy in general. And it has really helped me feel like I am getting all of the nutrition I need. 
It makes me feel focused in the morning and energized and just ready to take on the day. And no wonder I feel so good. It's got 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced ingredients to improve gut health, mood, to boost energy. It's even making my skin look better. I've never been very good at taking supplements or vitamins, things like that. But AG1 makes it super easy. I just make a smoothie with it in the morning. And if I don't have time to do that, I just throw a scoop of powder and water and that's it. AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live a healthier and better life without having to do very much. It's my kind of product. I also love the single serving travel packs because when I'm away from home, it makes it easy to keep up with a routine, keep my nutrition up and stay healthy. If you're looking for an easier way to take supplements, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com slash drilled. That's athleticgreens.com slash drilled. Check it out. Hi, it's Amy here, and I'm excited to tell you about a new podcast from APM Studios and Western Sounds called Ripple. Such a good idea, this show. In the aftermath of major disasters, there is always a swarm of media attention. The public is captivated by breaking news, there's coverage and controversy, and then the cameras and the public just move on. But the stories are not finished. Ripple is a new series investigating the stories we were told were over. In season one, the reporting team traveled hundreds of miles across the Gulf Coast to learn the ongoing effects of the 2010 Deepwater Horizon oil spill, which are still impacting many coastal residents more than a decade later. You can listen now to Ripple wherever you get your podcasts. As Simons and Powa and others have brought this second wave of climate liability lawsuits, representing cities, counties, and states against the oil companies, their strategy has shifted. They're focused more locally, they make use of attribution science, and they hammer home the point that information was kept from the public and regulations were actively stopped. filing these suits in state court rather than federal court and attempting to hold companies accountable for the financial cost of adapting to climate change, a cost currently shouldered by local taxpayers, these suits seem more winnable. Here's climate law expert Ann Carlson from UCLA explaining. Particularly for those cases filed in California and states like New York, the doctrine of nuisance is very plaintiff favorable. And in particular, the information that defendants knew um, that, that uh, climate change was occurring and then engaged in concealment efforts and campaign efforts to try to dissuade the public is relevant to the question of whether they are liable for nuisance. And so the, the, the doctrine is very favorable. You also don't get into some of the constitutional questions or at least constitutional concerns that some courts raised in the last rounds. None of those kind of withstood challenge, but 
Um, you don't get into, for example, a question of whether there's a separation of powers problem with the courts trying to tell the executive branch what to do, which is one of the arguments that defendants are trying to make. These cases are proving to be an effective tool for educating the public, politicians, and the courts. In the case San Francisco and Oakland brought against the top five oil companies, Exxon, Shell, BP, ConocoPhillips, and Chevron, Judge William Alsup ordered a climate science tutorial. He wanted to get an understanding of who knew what and when. There was an overflow room to hold the large crowd of spectators and journalists, and the tutorial was covered in every major newspaper. Ultimately, Alsup wound up repeating one of the industry's favorite tales that without fossil fuels, we wouldn't have had the Industrial Revolution, and that the danger caused by emissions is a necessary trade-off for progress. But there will be other judges. There are a dozen or so active cases right now, and more seem to be filed every month. Former Exxon scientist Ed Garvey got choked up talking about watching the country embrace climate denial. He thinks these suits could help change that. As a means to change the public's perspective on things, I think they may be very valuable. If we could get the public to say, yeah, you know what, there really was a lot of damage done, and yeah, yeah, we're part, we're part of it, but we, we certainly weren't in a position to make these educated decisions the way that people at Exxon or people in other oil companies were, they were fully aware that their scientists said, this is not a good thing and you need to think about what you're doing here. Getting in court and getting it into the news and saying, as part of the news cycle, that yeah, you know, we're no longer discussing the science. Now we're discussing who's responsible for the damage is done. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, yeah, this really was done to the public. This really was done to the, to the world at large. This, the science was disputed when, in fact, the issues were, to a large degree, resolved. In addition to the liability suits, other types of climate suits are also being filed. The attorneys general of Massachusetts and New York launched fraud probes against Exxon in 2016, which opened up more documentation about the company's decades-long deception campaigns. Here's Massachusetts AG Maura Healy explaining the impetus for the probes. We sent subpoenas to Exxon to ask them a simple question. Tell us what you knew when about climate change and the impact that burning fossil fuels was going to have on the environment. Because based on widely reported publicly available information, we had concern that Exxon may not have told the truth to the public, to consumers, to its shareholders about what it knew. We sent those subpoenas. They turned around. They sued us to try to stop us from investigating this. The New York fraud probe turned into a full-fledged suit in 2018 when interim New York Attorney General Barbara Underwood filed suit against ExxonMobil for, quote, defrauding investors regarding financial risk the company faces from climate change regulations. In a press release about the suit, A.G. Underwood said, quote, investors put their money and their trust in Exxon, which assured them of the long-term value of their shares, as the company claimed to be factoring the risk of increasing climate change regulations into its business decisions. Yet, as our investigation found, Exxon often did no such thing. Instead, Exxon built a facade to deceive investors into believing that the company was managing the risks of climate change regulation to its business when, in fact, it was intentionally and systematically underestimating or ignoring them, contrary to its public representations. In Oregon, attorney Julia Olson and the nonprofit Our Children's Trust is representing a group of young people suing the government for incentivizing dependence on fossil fuels rather than acting on climate. 
In Minnesota, two women who turned off the valves on a natural gas pipeline used a climate necessity defense, arguing that they have to do whatever they can to stop climate change. The case never wound up going to trial because the government dropped it. Some have even suggested that a RICO case, similar to what brought down Big Tobacco, ought to be filed against oil companies. Sharon Eubanks, the attorney who led that case against the tobacco companies, has been advising on climate litigation recently and sees several parallels. Not unlike Big Tobacco, the oil companies here, their internal documents, make the case of their knowledge and their cover-up. Big Oil knew about the dangers of its products, just as Big Tobacco knew. Big Oil knew going back to the 1960s. Notably, beginning in 1988, when the United States and the world started moving toward policies that might rein in fossil fuels, the industry stance shifts then from one of support of mainstream views towards an, a very aggressive campaign designed to manufacture uncertainty and doubt in the science that really wasn't there. Oil and gas, like cigarettes, are products. Like any other products, the companies that produce, market, and sell them are liable for the damages that they cause. There's nothing unique about that, especially under the circumstances here where they have misled the public about the product's dangers. As these cases continue to make their way through the courts, attorneys are digging up more and more documentation and testing a variety of strategies. And the information brought forth in these cases is beginning to sink into the collective unconscious a bit. Where climate change is concerned, the world appears to be waking up again. Next time on Drilled. And I hope we can all work effectively together to do something about it. It's a job about as difficult or maybe more difficult than the one we faced beginning in 1941. Drilled is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. The series was reported by me, Amy Westervelt. Our producer and composer is David Whited. Richard Wiles is our executive producer. Our story and concept development consultant is Reka Murthy. Lucas Lisakowski designed our cover art. Katie Ross, Michael Ann Petrella, and Julia Ritchie provided additional editing. Drilled is supported in part by a generous grant from the Institute for Governance and Sustainable Development. You can find Drilled wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to rate and review the podcast. It helps us find listeners. Thanks for listening.